Amen. Uh, good to be together again. And uh, Adam, my voice, I was singing again. Could you just turn me up a little bit? Not as much as with Bob's thing, but uh, a little bit. That'd be awesome. Thank you. Um, I'm grateful to God uh, for, for many good gifts. I'm grateful that in His sovereign plan, like He has me living on this earth in this nation, in this state, in this community, in this church, with my family at this time in history. Uh, so many reasons I can look at all of those things and just say, wow, what, a, what an undeserved blessing from God that, that this, is, this is when I live and these are the people that I get to live with. I've never in my life been without food. In my early years when I couldn't provide for myself, my parents provided for me, uh, and they, can, they don't continue to do that. We get to go buy our own food now because uh, we're big kids. But, uh, but there's so many ways in which, like, by the world's, by, sorry, by American standards, you might not look at, like, me and my family and say, oh, they're rich. But by the world's standards and by historical standards, we are rich. We have much. We have Three vehicles, three drivers in our house and three vehicles. I know, like the newest one is more than a decade old now, and the oldest one was born before Pastor Nick was born. So that car's been around a while, but three vehicles that get us anywhere we want to go. We live in a three-bedroom house that has two living rooms and an enclosed porch, which we will not be using this week, right? Uh, We're going to stay away from the porch and stay inside because we have air conditioning in our house both Kirsten and I have jobs that pay generously. Uh, we, we have all sorts of things, like devices in our pockets that can tell us things in an instant that most people died without being able to know. We have family and friends who love us and like us. We don't know of anybody that hates us. God has given us three kids who are Awesome, healthy, responsible, they're successful students, all kinds of things that the world, the secular world, would look at us and say, they're lucky. Or the church world might look at us and say, oh, they're blessed. And the the same that's true for us could be said of many of you. You could be looked at and you could be called blessed. We generally use that word, blessed, to refer to a state of being in which, like, on the outside, everything is good. Like, I have all of the material things that I need, and my life is good and comfortable, and that's when we use the word blessed. We have a good home. We have a good job. We have a good church. We've got a good family. We eat good food. So we are blessed. In Jesus' day, while most people living in Palestine did not have it as good as we do, in many ways they defined being blessed in the same way that we do. If they had a place to live in and food to eat and a good name for themselves in the community, they would have counted themselves as blessed. But when Jesus comes and begins his teaching and preaching ministry, which we're going to see today, Jesus is going to make some declarations of what the blessed life actually looks like, and he's going to turn some of their understandings and some of our understandings of the blessed life upside down. So today, as we walk through a short section again, Luke chapter 6 is where we're at, 
We made it up through verse 19 last week, which means we start in verse 20 this week. And we're just going to go verses 20 through 26. And what I've been praying for us this week is that God would help us to hear the warning that comes with the woes that He shares here in order that our, our understanding of what the blessed life now looks like might not fit so well with the American dream version of the blessed life, but more and more with a biblical vision of what the blessed life looks like. Here's the big idea today. It'll be up on the screen. While we naturally want to be rich, full, laughing, and liked, disciples of Jesus supernaturally develop different desires that lead to a life of eternal blessedness. Our custom as we read the Word of God is that we stand. So if you're able, would you stand? We'll read Luke chapter 6, verses 20 through 26, right after I pray. Father, I just confess that I am I am one who is shaped way more than I should be. The way I think about things is shaped so much just by the culture that we live in. And we are blessed in many ways and thankful to live in the culture where we live in. But we know that, that oftentimes the way our culture, the way the world around us looks at what is good and what is blessed might be different from the way that you and your word say and so, God, we just need your help. I need your help to, to believe this more and more. Help us to, to just uh, set aside what we've always thought and to hear what Jesus actually says here. And help us to believe that and live according to it. We are helpless to do it on our own, and so we are very much in need of the help of your Spirit as I preach, as we hear, and then as we go out and live this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 20. Hear the word of the Lord. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Amen. You can be seated. Let's, uh, let's just work our way through this, allowing God to do whatever He wants to do in us as we work our way through it. Just a little bit of context first before we dive into the four blessings and four woes that we see here. First basic question is this, is this the Sermon on the Mount? 
Some of you are familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, which we look at in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. So three chapters in Matthew, we call it the Sermon on the Mount because it tells us that Jesus goes up on the mountain to teach his disciples. Now, if you were to turn back to, we're not going to take time to do that here, but you can this week, turn back to Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, you will find that what we see in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 There's a lot of what we see there that we also see in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 20, where we read today, all the way through the end of the chapter. And so, the question that some people ask is, is is this the same thing? Is this the Sermon on the Mount? There's a couple of different possibilities. One is, this is the same thing. Some call Luke's account the Sermon on, this is Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount is what some people would call it. We're told that Jesus had been up on the mountain to to appoint his apostles, and then he came down to a level place, but that level place could still be considered on the mountain. So he's still potentially doing a sermon on the mount, and you see a lot of overlap between what Matthew records and what Luke records, and so some people would say it's possible this is the same sermon, and Matthew's just emphasizing certain parts, and Luke's emphasizing other parts. And Luke just doesn't include everything that Matthew records. That's one possibility. Another possibility is that it's two different sermons. That, that there is the Sermon on the Mount, and then there is the Sermon on the Plain, and they happened at two different times, and there just happens to be, because the preacher is the same, Jesus, some overlap in what Jesus is saying. Right? So we could go with either of those uh, explanations for it, but here's what we know for sure according to the passage. Look at verse 20. And he, that is Jesus, lifted up his eyes on his disciples. Now you'll recall when we left off last week, the people that were around consisted of, kind of we had concentric circles, right? On the outside, well, down, down in Jerusalem were those opposed to Jesus. But then we had the curious crowds who had gathered around Jesus, people that were curious and wanted to hear what he had to say, people in need of healing. So we had the curious crowds, and then we had the devoted disciples, people who had left their lives and were following Jesus around. And then last week we saw Jesus appoint 12 men to be apostles. So we have all of these people, but here, while all those people might be present, Jesus is targeting this this teaching at his disciples. So the two things we know for sure are that Jesus is preaching and the disciples of Jesus are the target. Okay? So that's what we know for sure. And and if we're thinking about us here today, by the way, most of us are gathered here this morning because we're not just part of the curious crowd. Some of you are. And last week I invited you, if you're a part of the curious crowd, keep gathering, but at some point we urge you to make the decision to repent and believe the gospel, to no longer just be a part of a curious crowd, but instead to become a devoted disciple of Jesus. But most of us are here, a lot of us are here, because we have made that decision to follow Jesus as a devoted disciple of Jesus, and because that's where we're at, we should listen especially closely to this teaching because Jesus' teaching for his devoted disciples in those days is still applicable for us, his disciples, those who follow him in our day. Okay, so this is not like, oh, well, this is something from the first century and we've moved on from that now. What Jesus had to say to his disciples then is what Jesus has to say to his disciples now. So let's listen in. 
It begins with four blessings. Verses 20 to 23, I just put the, the, the title on it, Blessed, What Disciples of Jesus Supernaturally Desire and Get. You might have heard the word Beatitudes before. That's really a, just a description of what verses 20 to 23 are. They're called Beatitudes, and Beatitudes are simply this. Declarations that certain people are happy or fortunate. Okay? Beatitudes weren't just something that Jesus did. Other speakers would do this same kind of thing. Making a declaration about certain people who would be happy or fortunate. Beatitudes. Luke includes four of them, and he's going to include here in a little bit, four contrasting woes, which we'll get to in a little bit. But the four Beatitudes begin with this word blessed. Blessed. Usually, that word blessed, in that context and ours, would refer to a sense of like inner happiness that things on the outside are going really well. You're blessed if things on the outside are going really well, therefore you're happy or blessed. That's the way people usually used that word. But Jesus comes along in this sermon, and in many ways, he flips it upside down and redefines the blessed life in more eternal terms. Not just about what, what's going on that's making you happy right here and now, but he's looking at the bigger picture, a more eternal picture. And so the first one is this, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, we hear that and we think, well, that's not the way I usually use the word blessed. That seems backwards. I mean, rich people are happy and blessed and poor people are not, right? That's the way most people would think. And so here, Jesus is flipping things upside down, saying, blessed are the poor. Now, in Matthew's account, uh, Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit. I think Jesus really referring to both of those things included in what Jesus is saying here. The economically poor, the people that have very little. Remember that those who are following Jesus, many of them left everything they had to follow him. So they are economically poor. In addition to that, I think he's also uh, encompassing those who are poor in spirit, or those who recognize that they are humbled before a holy God and dependent on him for everything, not just physically, but also spiritually. Why then, why does Jesus say, blessed are the poor, blessed are you who are poor, listen to what he says in the rest of verse 20, for yours is the kingdom of God. Those who follow Jesus may be poor, but they're blessed because they've been given the kingdom of God, a concept that will become clearer as we continue in Luke in future weeks. Important question. Does Jesus mean that everybody who's poor is a part of the kingdom of God and everybody who's rich is not? No, I don't, I don't think so. Remember, the target here is his disciples. And he's seeking to encourage these disciples who in many cases have left everything to follow him and are economically disadvantaged and will be more so as time goes on. He's trying to encourage them, blessed are you who are poor. Don't, don't believe the, the lie that you have in your own heart and that the world around you is telling you that if you're poor, your life is going to be sad. That's not true. And many of you, you can because you've been somewhere around people who maybe in another country, maybe you've been on a mission trip, something like that, and you've been around people who have very, very little, almost nothing. Yet, 
they're incredibly happy and blessed, right? You've been around people like that. So we can say, oh, I get what Jesus is saying here. Why are they happy and blessed? Because they know theirs is the kingdom, right? I might not have all that much materially here and now, but I've been adopted by the king, right? Mine is the kingdom. I'm living under the rule and reign of Jesus, and this is a good place to live. I'm a citizen of heaven, as Brandon read earlier in the call to worship. Number two, blessed are you who are hungry now. This is verse 21 now. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. So in the present, there's hunger. I don't know about you, but when I'm living in the present and feeling hungry, I'm not feeling at that moment very blessed. You've heard the word hangry, right? Like a mixture of being angry and hungry because I just don't have food in my belly and so my attitude about everything is, is not so good, right? So we usually think about blessed as uh, we even use that word like at we're having a feast and so we're blessed with an abundance of things. But here Jesus says, blessed are those who are, blessed are you who are hungry now, Again, I think Jesus referring to, yes, physical hunger, which his disciples would often experience, but often beyond that as well, a spiritual hunger. In Matthew, it's hunger and thirst for righteousness. So those who follow Jesus may be hungry, but they're blessed because someday in the future, they will be satisfied, not just physically, but also spiritually. They will, if they continue following Jesus, share in the wedding supper of the Lamb. They will feast in the house of Zion, right? Those who are with Jesus, even if they experience hunger here and now, they shall be satisfied yet in the future. Number three, still in verse 21. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. We all know people who have a hard life. And this might be some of you, like I I don't just know a person, I am a person who just has a hard life where it just doesn't seem fair. Like there's this tragedy that happens, this unfortunate circumstance, and that's followed by another one layered on top of it. And then another one layered on top of it. You know people like that. We have people like that in our church. You look at a world filled with injustice and bad circumstance after bad circumstance, and often... People feel like everybody else wins and I just lose, no matter what. That's just the way it seems to go for me. It's hard and life is sad. And if they're honest, they spend a lot of time weeping. This might be you, but again, Jesus talks about the upside down nature of his kingdom. And he says, blessed are you who weep now, for you will, you shall laugh. Verse 21, the fourth of the four continues in verse 21. He said, this one's longer. Did you notice that? This one's a lot longer. The rest of, oh, it's actually verse 22 now. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Now again, those aren't things that most of us look forward to. Like, I'm living the blessed life if people hate me. That's not natural for us to say that. Most of us aren't looking forward to being excluded. 
That's one of the things. As you kids go back to school this week, one of the things that you're probably a bit anxious about is who, like, who are my classes going to be with? And who, like, am I going to find people that are going to be my people? Am I going to be included or am I going to feel like totally excluded? Like here's all the people over here and then there's me. But Jesus says, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you. And when they revile you. And when they spurn your name as evil. And notice this, he says, on account of the Son of Man. The reason for people hating and reviling and excluding you might be, and in this case Jesus is talking specifically to those who have aligned themselves with him. Because you have aligned yourself on account of the Son of Man, that's Jesus' reference to himself, if you align yourself with Jesus, there's a good chance that people would hate you, exclude you, revile you, and spurn your name as evil. And Jesus is saying, well, then you're blessed. And here's the only time we have a command in this passage. It continues, verse 23, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. I don't know about you, but as somebody who has a problem with always wanting people to like me, if people hate me, exclude me, and spurn my name as evil, I'm not thinking my natural reaction is going to be rejoicing and leaping for joy. Oh good, people hate me. But Jesus says, blessed are you, and he makes the command, rejoice on that day. Leap for joy. Why? Why would Jesus say this? Again, we see the word for. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. You see, there's a day coming where those who, because they're aligned with Jesus right now, are experiencing hardship and persecution, those, those people one day will have a great reward in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. I just got done reading, I love the, the book of Jeremiah. Longest book in the Old Testament. Okay? Jeremiah the prophet, often called the weeping prophet, because he is faithful to proclaim the word of God. And most of the time, the word God gives him to share with other people is, you're sinning and God is about to judge you. Do you think people love when Jeremiah, like, you know, it's Jeremiah's day to preach. Jeremiah shows up and he points them out and says, listen, you're living like this. God says to live like this. You're failing. You're sinning. God's going to judge you. Like, "Ah, bring us the other preacher. We like the other guy better. And that's really what happens in the book of Jeremiah. They like the other guys better. And so Jeremiah gets beat up. Jeremiah gets thrown in prison. And he spends a lot of his life weeping. Why? Because he's just telling people what God tells them to tell them, and they don't like it. And so here, Jesus is saying, if you are aligning yourself with me, you will be hated, excluded, reviled, and spurned as evil, for so their fathers, he says, no, for so their fathers did to the prophets. All right, so there's the blessings, and it seems backwards in many ways to us. It seems flipped upside down. But I wonder. See, it seems really weird to us because most of us are living what most people around us would call a blessed life. We have lots of stuff, right? 
But think about the people that Jesus is talking to. His devoted disciples on the plain, on the mountain that day, they're hearing this and they're not thinking, "Uh uh-oh. They're thinking, yeah, I am poor and I'm blessed. And they're hearing from Jesus, no, listen what is yet to come. You shall be satisfied. You shall laugh. Great is your reward in heaven. So they're hearing this and they're saying, yes, because they're already in the world's eyes and in their own eyes down here. And Jesus is saying, but it's going to be different for you. The future is going to be different than the present. They're not living what the world would call their blessed life now or what Joel Osteen would call their blessed life now, right? They're not living that. But Jesus says that's what you're going to be living later. Let's look at the woes. Then Jesus moves on. Verses 24 to 26. The upside down flipping continues as Jesus moves from blessings to woes. Now we use woe in lots of different ways. Like, whoa, that bacon was tasty. That's not this kind of woe. Or like, whoa, hold on, stop right there. That's not this kind of woe. This is woe that's kind of like the opposite of blessing. Okay, So this woe means this. It's an exclamation of pity for the misfortune or judgment that awaits certain people. This woe is an exclamation of pity for the misfortune or judgment that awaits certain people. This is not a, I'm so happy for you. This is a, I feel sorry for you. And who, to whom is Jesus directing his woes? Well, let's look. Verse 24. But woe to you who are rich. Well, hold on. Again, in our, in our thinking, the way our culture thinks through these things, the rich people are the blessed people. But Jesus feels sorry for them? Jesus has pity on the rich? I mean, aren't the rich the blessed ones? Why does Jesus have pity on them? I mean, if you have a choice between being poor or being rich, wouldn't you choose rich? Why is Jesus feeling sorry for the rich? We'll look at the rest of the verse, verse 24. But what are you who are rich? For you have received your consolation. Consolation or comfort. There are good things you can get with money. You know that because you have bought things that make your life easier or more comfortable with money. We all do that. And Jesus is telling those who are rich, you have all you're going to get. You have your consolation. What is ahead for you is not good. Your money can make you comfortable now, but your money cannot make you comfortable forever. That's not the word that our world gives us, but that's the word that Jesus gives us, and that's the word we need to hear. Our money might be able to make us comfortable now, but it cannot give us eternal comfort or consolation. So Jesus says, woe to you who are rich now. Then Jesus goes on. Verse 25. He says, woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Again, this seems backwards to us. I'd rather be full than hungry. I feel happier. I feel more blessed after I'm well fed. I've eaten a lot. But Jesus says, those who are full now shall be hungry. It's possible to be living high on the hog in this life and to be hungry for all of eternity. And Jesus says, for those of you 
who are putting all of your hope in living high on the hog now, and and you need to be anticipating that if that's where your hope is, you will be hungry in the future. Verse 25 continues, Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Why would Jesus have pity on those who laugh? I was reading about this, the the laughter in view here is the kind of laughter at the expense of somebody else. I felt that when I was in, speaking of going back to school, when I was in middle school, I felt the pain of that a lot, of like being the one who was laughed at. Um, What I then kind of turned around and did when I got to high school is I just became the one who was laughing at the expense of others. Right? And Jesus saying here, Woe to those who laugh in that way now, for you shall mourn and weep. The tables will be turned. In verse 26, notice that all these are contrasting the the blessings. Verse 26, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Again, we're a little confused. Why would Jesus have pity on, feel sorry for the people that everybody likes? What's wrong with everybody liking you? And he points out, for those, so their fathers did to the false prophets. Right? If you, if you go back in Jeremiah, Jeremiah is the true prophet saying what God actually said and people hated him. And the ones who said what the people wanted to hear, that's the ones that the people loved. It's the kind of thing that Jesus is referring to here. Okay. So you get this picture? I told you, like, this is uncomfortable because it's so countercultural. If you just want to put up on the screen, Brooke, just the, the, the kind of, here, here's how they're, the, the next statement, there we go. Blessed. Here's what Jesus calls blessed. Those who are poor, hungry, weeping, and hated. Woe. Those who are rich, full, laughing, and liked. And that just seems so countercultural. We've got to wrestle with that a little bit. While we naturally want to be rich, full, laughing, and liked, disciples of Jesus supernaturally develop different desires that lead to a life of eternal blessedness. Let's just do some application of this. Application number one. There's going to be two of them. Application number one, a warning. Looking at those woes, here's the warning. We could live the American dream and endure an eternal nightmare. Just just want to be super frank because Jesus is pretty blunt. We could live the American dream, yet endure an eternal nightmare. It is possible to live a life filled with riches, full bellies, laughter, and being well-liked and popular by any everybody, and to suffer eternal punishment. Here's my concern. My concern is, that sounds an awful lot like the way a lot of us get to live. Rich, full, laughing, and well-liked. Maybe you're like me. I already mentioned, like, there is this thing that was in me, in me before I was redeemed, and I continue to battle against it. I love to be well-liked. I like it when people like me. That's why on the back of your bulletin, our memory verse for this week, Galatians 1.10. Some of you, you have a propensity like I do towards people-pleasing. Like, you'll kind of not say certain things, say certain things, in order to get people to continue to like you. 
So I need to hear Jesus' warnings in the form of these woes here in Luke 6, 24-26. If you're like me and most of the rest of us, you like material comforts. We are, compared to the rest of the world, rich and well-fed, and we would prefer, and we can, kind of avoid all like, there are, we know there are people really suffering, but there's ways we can shut ourselves off to that. We can just kind of like ignore it and entertain ourselves with all kinds of other things and not be with people who are in a really tough spot. America is a land of unprecedented prosperity. It is. And in many ways, we are blessed to live in this place. And we ought to be thankful for the gifts that God gives us to enjoy. From a worldly perspective, it certainly seems like God has blessed America. The American dream is something that many of us are not just looking forward to. It's something we are living right now and we continue to actively pursue. And so that's why we need, in the middle of living that out, to hear Jesus' warnings in the form of woes here in Luke chapter 6. Because we need to be reminded that many who are living their best life now will suffer eternal punishment in the future. It's possible to look like you're winning the game of life. Like you've played that board game, right? That the board game life, you spin the thing, you get a career, all these things happen. But the goal of the game of life is who wins the game of life? The person that has the most money at the end. You turn in your pets and your family and your friends, all these things. You had the best career, the least amount of bad things that happened to you, and you get to the end of your life and look. I win because I have more money than everybody else. That's the way most people look at it, but that's not the way Jesus talks about life. It's possible to get to the end of this earthly life thinking you've won the game, but forgetting that there is eternity yet to be lived in either eternal life and joy or in eternal punishment. The winners are not those who have the most in the end. So may the warnings that come in the form of woes here in Luke drive us to seek the truly blessed eternal life that comes only in Jesus. So that's the second point of application. It's this. We need to ask God to develop different desires in us that lead to a life of eternal blessedness. We need to ask God to develop different desires in us that lead to a life of eternal blessedness. It begins here two steps. One, it begins with aligning ourselves with Jesus by becoming a devoted disciple, the target of this message. We need to, first of all then, repent and believe. Acknowledge our sin. Acknowledge, hey, God, I know that I have spent my life up to this point seeking satisfaction in all kinds of other things and not loving you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Repenting and believing the gospel. Putting your faith in Jesus, the one who died on the cross for our sin. And when you've done that, go public with that. If you trust in Jesus, tell people about it. That's what some people are going to be doing next week when we do baptism. So we align ourselves with Jesus, and then we just ask God, okay, I am one of yours, I'm one of your disciples, but I live in this world that values all of these things, and I have a propensity in my heart to value all of these things more than you. God, give me different desires. A supernatural work, it has to be, but it begins with practical steps. 
Now, here's the question you're wrestling with. I'm still wrestling with it. I don't have this. Like, I'm just, I'm trying to figure out. I know the world I live in, and I'm reading what Jesus says. And it's really hard to just put the two together and say they're the same thing. They're not. Right? So I'm just wrestling with what does this look like. I know there's got to be some practical steps. Here's what I came up with as I prayed and studied through this. Okay, I'm just going to take the four things that Jesus says, and like, let's do something about that. Okay? So, practical steps. Many of us are rich. How do you fight that natural desire to put your hope in riches? Well, I think one very practical way is you give stuff away. Right? If, I, if I have in me this desire to just value the things and the riches that come from hard work, ultimately coming from the Lord, if I, if I have that propensity in me, then what I need to do is I need to just give a bunch of that stuff away. I need to give generously. Secondly, if I have the natural desire to always be full, which I do, I like to eat food. I like to also not only be food, think about this, not just food, but how many of us like to just kind of always have our minds working on something? There's this, and again, those devices I mentioned, those phones that we have in our pocket, give us endless uh, opportunities for entertainment or information. And we can just be taking stuff in. I'm hungry. Oh, it's like I'm just, I want to be full all the time. I want to be full of stuff. And we might need sometimes to fight against that desire by fasting, by denying ourselves food for a time to remind ourselves that there's something more important than food, by denying ourselves information sometimes, by reminding ourselves, I want to know God more than I want to know the score or the weather. The weather forecast is hot. It's going to be hot. Don't even look at it anymore this week. It's just going to be hot. You don't need to know. And your team, might, I'm probably still going to look at it occasionally, but I need to more often, uh, I heard of one guy this week, he just said on his phone, his home screen says, do you need to do this right now? So every time he opens up his phone, it says to him, do you need to do this right now? And occasionally, like, no, I don't. Uh, the same guy also said this. He said, we used to only answer our phones when they rang. Now we answer them when they don't even make any sound. Like, we just pick up our phone and we start answering it. Like it's calling. It's not calling. You don't need to pick it up, right? So we might need to fast from food. We might need to fast from that craving to always be full of information and knowledge and put that away for a time, right? Or maybe it's the natural desire to avoid suffering and pain. We feel awkward if we're, like, we're not supposed to maybe like go out and seek pain for ourselves, but are there ways in which we avoid suffering and pain? Other people are hurting, and we don't know what to say, and we feel awkward, and it, dry, it kind of like drags us down when we're hanging out with people who are down and out. But maybe what we need to do this week is we need to go hang out with people that are down and out rather than entertain ourselves with like another show or another video or something like that. I'm going to go spend some time with somebody who's struggling, somebody who's weeping, maybe even weep with them. And then finally, the natural desire to be well-liked by all. One way to maybe... Uh, get rid of that desire or start fighting it is to just speak the truth in love, of course, and to proclaim the gospel. Not everybody likes that. God, help me to proclaim the gospel, to challenge lies and to tell the truth with grace. We need God's help in that way. All right, a lot of stuff to figure out. I don't come to the end of this sermon like, all right, you guys want an example of how to do that? Look at me. I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out too. This is just Jesus declaring 
what the blessed life looks like. And I'm just saying, it, it doesn't seem to match the definition of what most Americans think the blessed life look like. And if i got to choose, am I going to go kind of like with the American version or the Jesus version? I want to go with the Jesus version. God help me. Right? That's, that's kind of where, where we leave it uh, this week. Maybe, maybe there's more that I, I could have said that would have been more helpful or more accurate. I don't know. Uh, this is just me studying, learning, trying to grow, and, and we can all hopefully do that together. So uh, thanks for sticking with me. And I preached a long time today. Um, but let's, let, let's pray, and then uh, we'll dive into uh, singing together to close. God, I, I pray that you would convict us by your Holy Spirit of ways that we've just kind of bought into our own natural desires and the, the lies the world around us tells us. We've failed to live in the way that you've called us to live. We've bought into the lie and we need forgiveness. I'm really thankful that Jesus lived a truly obedient and blessed life. And that that life led Him all the way to the cross. Who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. Who, who was reviled and hated and spit on and flogged and ultimately nailed to a cross to die a painful death in our place. Help us who trust in Him, who align with Him, who identify with Him, to believe what He said and to live in that way. Would you, God, develop in us different desires that line up not with what the world and our sinful desires say the blessed life is, but develop in us different desires that line up more and more with what Jesus said to be true. We need your help. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can stand and sing with us.